theyeshiva.net. So this Jew comes into a bakery Friday afternoon. How do you know it's funny? <laughs> a Jew in a bakery is never funny. It's deathly. And he sees a beautiful, big, delicious piece of challah. He wants to get it for Shabbat, brings it to the front counter. He says, I would like this challah, how much is it? The man says, $95. Says, challah, $95? Says, it's $5 for the challah, it's $90 for Israel. You crazy? I came here to buy challah, not to support Israel. I'm no way I'm giving you $95. The man says, anti-Semitism, get out. In our store, we support Israel. You don't want to support Israel? Leave. $95. Doesn't want to be called an anti-Semite. He pays the $95. Takes home his challah. The next Friday, he comes back and he sees beautiful, delicious, big babka cake. He's getting excited. Don't worry. He brings it to the front counter. How much is it? $350. You're mad? The man says, no. It's $10 for the cake. It's $340 for Israel. This is absurd. If I want to send a check to Israel, I know how to send a check to Israel. The man says, I told you already, anti-Semite, get out. What should he do? He pays the $350. Next week he comes in and he sees... This gigantic, delicious 747 cheesecake. Brings it to the counter. How much? The man says $920. $20 for the cheesecake, $900 for Israel. He says, I had enough with you guys. You're a bunch of criminals. I came here for cheesecake, not for Israel. Man says, this is our policy, I told you. We support Israel. He says, I want to speak to the owner of the store right now. May I? He says, sure. Wait a minute. Goes to the back room. And he calls out and he says, Israel, somebody is here to talk to you. Now, I share with you this little anecdote because you just got it, okay. There is supporting Israel and there is supporting Israel. You know, not long ago there was a Jew sitting on a bench in Central Park, reading a newspaper and sipping an ice coffee. In walks a non-Jew who didn't like the Jewish people, an anti-Semite, comes over to this Jew sitting on the bench, punches him in his nose, and says, a punch from Iran. A few minutes later, he comes back, Gives him a kick in his stomach. And he says, a kick from Syria. Comes back two minutes later. Shoves him in his back. And says, a shove from Hamas. Comes back two minutes later. Smacks him in the face and says, a smack from Hezbollah. The poor Jew is bleeding, wounded, maimed. Gets up and leaves the park. And this Jew hater is very happy, feet accomplished, sits down on the bench, takes over the newspaper, takes over the coffee. The Jew is gone, but he returns 25 minutes later. The Jew is holding a wrench. 
walks over to this fellow, knocks him over his head with all of his might, and says, a wrench from Home Depot. <laughs> now, I share... I share with you these anecdotes here at this great 70th anniversary celebration tonight because I would like you to come on me with a little journey, on a little journey seven decades back. I wasn't born yet, but we all know, we've heard, we've read, we've heard from parents, grandparents, some of us experienced it on our own flesh and blood. Seventy years ago, in 1945, when this great school, when the great Hebrew Academy of Southern Connecticut was founded by a young man of 25 years of age, what did the Jewish world look like? In Eastern Europe, there was absolute decimation. Piles, mounds of ashes upon ashes. Six million of our brothers and sisters, including one and a half million holy, precious, special, angelic children whose memory was just deleted, obliterated by the Third Reich. And all over the world, there was a brokenness, despair in the Jewish community. A young man of 25 years old, Moshe Yitzchak Hecht, came to Nehaven and opened up a school, and he managed to bring to the desk, to the classroom, four children. People scoffed at him. People mocked. This is not where the future is. The Jewish people as a distinct nation, with a distinct faith, raising children entrenched in their heritage, in their history, in their culture, seemed to be something of the past. A story that was maintained for 3,300 years was close to coming to an end. A flame was close to being extinguished. Just then, in that period in the early 40s, just to give one glimpse of a story that happened thousands upon thousands of times. There was a city in Poland, there is a city in Poland, called Dombrov. Dombrov, little city. It was a Friday afternoon when the few thousand Jews who lived in Dombrov were gathered by the SS and marched to the nearby forest outside of Dombrov. The abled men were commanded, instructed to dig two large pits. And when they finished, they all sat down on the ground as the SS soldiers enjoyed their lunch with their dogs, with their laughter, with their wine, with their sandwiches, eating lunch. It was a short Friday afternoon. It was winter in Poland. And the sun would soon begin to go down. On that Friday day, Shabbat would soon ascend on the horizon. A Jew sitting on the earth with his fellow Jews stood up and he began speaking to the people in front of him and he said, My dear friends, holy brothers and sisters, you all understand that these graves were made for us. 
Next Shabbos, we won't be here anymore. This is our last opportunity to welcome the holy day of Shabbat. The Germans want to destroy not only our bodies, but our soul, our spirit. I say, let us seize the opportunity and welcome the last time on earth. Shabbos with joy, with glee. Join me in the song. And this Jew in the forest outside of Dombrov, Friday at dusk, begins that ancient, known Jewish melody. He begins singing, Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Yashavos. And the Jews hear him singing, they all join along. And the next group of Jews, men, women, children, all hear this melody, they all join. At this point, all the Jews now have joined together in the melody it sounded like a heavenly symphony. Thousands of Jews in a forest. It was a surreal situation. Singing together. Shalom Aleichem Malach Yashores Malach The Germans at first thought it was cute, charming. But at some point, as they gazed at the scene, they were infuriated. It was too lovely. It was too beautiful. The SS commander began shouting, hollering at them. Verfluchtete Juden! Cursed Jews! Stiegen! Quiet! Quiet! At this point, they had nothing to lose. They continued. The more he was hollering at them, threatening, screaming, cursing, they in their imagination were back in their homes with the beautiful candles burning, with the wine, with the gefilte fish, with the soup. In their minds they were connecting to hundreds of generations of Jewish mothers and fathers all the way back to Abraham and Sarah. He continues to threaten them that if they don't stop, he will kill all of them. And as they continued singing, the murder began. In the middle of their singing, two Jews ran to the forest. They were shot at, but they dodged and escaped the bullets, lived with the partisans, survived the Holocaust to tell the story of how that holy community perished by the hands of the Nazis that Friday evening as Shabbat was about to enter. And in 1945, Rabbi Moshe Hecht decided to do what he can do so that the melody of those children of Shalom Aleichem would not be interrupted. Because the only ones who can secure that their melody would continue into the next generation, their values, their learning, their perspective, their identity, their faith, their tradition, their history, their song, 
their ballad, their symphony, would be perpetuated was through education. So he started with four children. But he ensured that at least those four children, their melody would not be interrupted. The community of Dumbrov's voice will continue to resonate in the hearts and minds of young American Jewish kinderlach, children who will sing Shalom Aleichem and sing so many other songs and be infused with the spirits of Judaism together with its academic depth and majesty and scholarship. But I think there were three other major contributions and features that define this particular Jewish day school, which was for many years called the New Haven Hebrew Academy, morphed into the Southern Connecticut Hebrew Academy and educated over 70 years, thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish children who are today dispersed all over the globe, raising beautiful families, contributing to mankind, to the Jewish people, to Israel, to our people, to our story, including, of course, enriching their own life. And I think there were three unique qualities. Number one, the component of individuality. The dean of the school, the founder of the school, its staff always focused on cherishing every individual child, believing in his or her infinite dignity. You know the story that was about mitzvah boy who came to his mother. He said, at the bar mitzvah, I want to talk about our family history. Where do we come from? His mother says, ah... Let me tell you about your grandmother, your great-grandmother, your grandfather. He says, no, 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 ma, all the way back. Where do we come from? She says, ah, Stephen, where do we come from? God created the world in six days. On the sixth day, he created Adam and Eve. They decided to have children. The rest is history, or actually her story. Then you had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, here we are. Great. Boy writes it down in his notebook, or in his tablet. Comes to his father. His father is an enlightened graduate of Columbia, or maybe of Yale. And says, Daddy, where do we come from? I want to talk about our history. Where do we come from? Daddy says, "Ha! Huh? you don't know where we come from? We have evolved from the apes. Really, Daddy, how did that happen? Daddy says it took hundreds of millions of years, but we have evolved. And the apes, the apes have evolved from the monkeys, and they evolved from others. Daddy, how did it all begin? Oh, it all began, son, with an explosion of gas and bacteria. Comes back to his mother and says, Mom, I'm very confused about my bar mitzvah speech. I want to talk about where we come from. You tell me we come from Adam, Eve, Abraham, Sarah, God. Daddy tells me we come from apes, monkeys, and bacteria. What should I say? Where do we come from? She says, son, there's really no contradiction. Your father was talking about his side of the family. Now, the women agree. I'm talking. I'm talking about my side of the family. Friends, who are we? You have to answer the question for yourself. I could look in the mirror and see an animal. I can look in the mirror and see a mirror of God. I could look at a human being and see insignificant, random matter. I could look at a human being and see absolute, unnegotiable dignity. And that's the question. And when Rabbi Hecht founded that school 70 years ago, 
He knew something that we must never remember, especially today, 2015, when we gaze at the world. And that is that in the early years of the war, the method of extermination of European Jewry in Russia, in Belarus, in Lithuania, in the most eastern side of Europe was through bullets. But in 1942, the Germans met and they felt it was too expensive. After all, to use a bullet for a Jew, it's not worth it. It's too much. A bullet for a Jew came out to a penny. That's too much to spend on the murder of a Jew. And that's when they developed a new method. The method was Cyclone B, the gas. Here, you wouldn't even have to spend a penny on one Jew. The life and death of a Jew was not worth a penny in 1942 to certain people. And to certain people living today, it's still not worth a penny. Who cares if you murder a couple so that their children never see them again? What's the big deal of knifing, stabbing, cutting a throat, cutting open a chest? Who cares? It's a Jew. It's the devil. It's the Satan. And as a response to that, this school was created with the paradigm that every Jewish child is not only worth a penny, every Jewish child is priceless. Every Jewish child has infinite value. Her or his dignity is divine, eternal, limitless, and endless. That was the perspective that guided the teachers, the headmaster, as it still does this great institution. But there was something else about this institution. And this has to do with a very disturbing story that has always bothered me. I never could understand it. And that is, everybody is going to read it in a few days, in the portion of Toldot in the book of Genesis, Isaac loves his son Esau. Now his son Esau is a no-goodnik. He's a dealer. You got that, okay. I thought maybe I'm a little Meshuggah. I'm glad I got to take you with me. He was a dealer. He was up to no good, but Isaac loved him. Rebecca, you know, the mother has a sense of smell. She loved Jacob. Isaac tells Esau, you bring me food, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you special blessings. Rebecca overhears it. What does she do? She dresses up her son Jacob in the clothes of Esau. He was very hairy. He had special garments. And she says, you go bring the food that I'll prepare and take your brother's blessings. And he does it, he does it successfully. I never understood this. What does every Jewish wife do when she disagrees with her husband? What do you guys do? You say, Yanko, Schmettel, Jack, Stevie, and he knows it's trouble. I need you upstairs. He goes like a sheepish coward upstairs, waiting for the sentence. What did he do now? And she tells him, listen, you may be a good guy, but you're out for lunch. Esau is not getting the blessings. Isaac is. That's it. What did Sarah do with Abraham? She said, Ishmael is not going to live in this home. You know why? Because you're not dealing with a person who wants to have a state near the Jewish state. You're dealing with a person who wants to have a state instead of a Jewish state. So you have to decide. God tells Abraham, listen to Sarah. Why does Rebecca manipulate her husband? And he's not even angry at her. 
Strange story. The answer is this dinner. Rebecca was the ultimate Yiddish mama. She was a woman with vision. And listen to what her vision was. She knew that as history develops, not all Jews will look like Jacob. Some Jews might look like Esau, but inside they're still Jacob. And she had to answer a question. Will the blessing of Isaac include all of the Jews? Or will it include only Jews who are Jacob and look like Jacob? Rebecca understood that assimilation is going to come to the Jewish world. She understood that one day a new generation of Jews will emerge who inside they're Jewish. But externally they may not live it fully or look it fully. Are they part of the covenant? Are they to be excluded? Are they to be dismissed? If she would have told her husband to bless Jacob, the blessing would have been given to Jacob who looks like Jacob. Rebecca wanted to make sure to include every single Jew, even a Jew who externally thinks he or she is like Esau. They don't fully identify with the Jewish identity. They feel outside. They feel like outcasts. They say, I don't belong. I'm not the religious type. Rebecca says, you do belong. You're part of the covenant. They're also part of the blessing. This school is a unique school. There are many Jewish schools today, thank God. But to look around at this dinner and you'll see every type of Jew under this roof. Jews from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, from different persuasions. No two Jews here have the same opinion. No two Jews anywhere have the same opinion. I once heard, I once heard, why are you clapping? Okay, whatever. I once heard from my Rebbe, he said, why is it? You tell a Jew, Shalom Aleichem. What does he say? Aleichem Shalom. Why doesn't he respond in kind? Imagine I tell you, good evening. You tell me, evening good. How are you? You are how? What's going on? I'm going What? Say, I'm a This guy is insane. We do it kindly. Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. Say, Shalom Aleichem. And he said, it's simple. When two Jews meet, even before they start a conversation, they have to disagree. <laughs> I say to you, Shalom Aleichem. You say, what are you talking about? That's the opposite. Aleichem Shalom. Jackie Mason, who steals many of my jokes, <laughs> says that if two Jews meet, and within three minutes, they don't establish a family connection. One of them is not Jewish. <laughs> I say if they meet them within three minutes, they're not arguing about something. That one of them is certainly not Jewish. It's easy to dismiss. This institution made sure to open up its doors and its heart to every single Jewish child. Believing that every single Jew... No matter where here he or she comes from, no matter their lifestyle, their persuasion, their culture, their perspective, is to be fully embraced and given a place of dignity in the eternal history of the Jewish people, in the eternal history of Torah and mitzvahs. The costume and the uniform didn't define the value of the child. Even that child that some would say, look at the dress, Rebecca said... Remember to differentiate between externals and internals. Don't allow an external feature to extinguish the core holiness, 
the core Jewishness, identity of every single Jew, eternally connected to God by definition of his or her soul. And there was a third component, I think, that still characterizes the story, the legacy, the past and the future of this great academy, of the Hebrew Academy of Southern Connecticut. And that has to do with a simple little anecdote. This fellow, a Hasidic Jew, Dr. Tversky, a psychiatrist, is traveling on an airplane. He looks like a real Hasid. Big black round hat, square white beard, long black coat, the works. A Jewish woman is sitting near him. She speaks to him in Yiddish. Her opening words, as is appropriate, Du bist a Schande. You're a disgrace. You cause anti-Semitism. You know why? Because you have to stand out. If you would only dress normally and speak normally, we would be accepted, we would be normal. But you have to make us look not normal. It's your fault. All in Yiddish. He looks at her and in a perfect Yale English, says, excuse me ma'am, I fail to comprehend the verbiage of your dialect. The verbiage of your dialect. Which language are you talking in? I am Amish. <laughs> she looks at him and says, Oh, I'm so sorry, I thought you were Hasidic. He says, No, that's so sweet. I am Amish. She says, Oh, I apologize, I was talking a foreign language, Yiddish. I want to tell you, I love the Amish. <laughs> he says, Why? She says, because you're such a minority and you maintain your pride <laughs> with such dignity. Keep it up! It was his turn to respond in Yiddish. He says, aha, oi bechvot given Amish, hastamir lib. If I would have been Amish, you'd love me. Now that I'm one of your own, you're uncomfortable with me. I want to bless you that you should be able to cherish in your own people that which you cherish in others. I think by 2015, many of us, I wish all of us, many of us could come to discover a truth that Rabbi Hecht Sr., Rabbi Moshe Hecht of blessed memory, and his son, Rabbi Shia Hecht, and all the staff of the school for 70 years have inculcated in the hearts of his children. And that is, if there will come a day that the world will respect the Jewish people, it's when the Jewish people will respect the Jewish people. And if there comes a day that the world will finally respect and admire Israel, it's when the Jewish people will finally respect and admire Israel. If there comes a day that the Jewish world, that the whole world will love and pay tribute to the Jewish people, to the Jewish story, it's when we will stop being embarrassed with ourselves, with our homeland, with our heritage, with our faith, with our culture, with our religion, with our country, when we will not be ashamed to be who we really are. That's what the world waits. That's what the world respects. That's what the world wants from the Jew. Be true to you. Be true to your identity. Be true to your soul. Be true to your history. Take a look at the chauffeur. The chauffeur is narrow on one side, broad on the other side. Imagine you would turn it around and blow it from the broad side. You know what it would sound like? 
you blow it from the narrow side. I'm a chayadu. You get the metaphor? There are Jews who tell me, I'm not a narrow person. I'm a universalist. I want to blow from the broad side. But then you have no distinct voice. The world is waiting for your voice. You have a unique voice. You have a legacy that dates back to Sinai. That can give the international community perspective, direction, optimism, morality, values, ethics. An example of what education is, what family is, what relationships is. What God means to the world. The God of life, not the God of death. Blow with your voice and then your voice will resonate far and wide. This was the third major contribution of this academy to inculcate that sense of inner dignity, of inner Jewish pride among its Jews. I still remember the funeral of Rabbi Moshe Hecht, 1992. I was a boy learning in the yeshiva in Brooklyn. The late Lubavitcher Rebbe came out to bid, to pay respects. It was a Friday afternoon. And the next day, Saturday, the Lubavitcher Rebbe spoke every Shabbos afternoon and he dedicated two talks to this academy and to Rabbi Hecht's legacy. And he said then something that was quite shocking and very interesting. He said that Hecht, a Hecht, is the name of a predator fish. But it's the only fish which is a predator and it's kosher. Usually, you get it? Usually, usually, those who knew Rabbi Hecht understand... How the Rebbe could sum up a person. Usually a predator fish is not kosher. There's one exception, the hecht fish. You know why? Because the hecht fish knows what you have to catch. And how you have to catch it. The hecht fish understands that aggression is not always associated with evil. There's two types of aggression. There's aggression that's immoral, that's abusive. And there's aggression that's ready to stand up to immorality, to immoral violence. And you must stand up to it with confidence, with dignity, unapologetically, unwaveringly. Why are we apologizing for existing for three and a half thousand years? Rabbi Hecht taught his children, don't apologize for your existence. Don't apologize for being a Jew and don't apologize for loving life and abhorring those who want to destroy life. So today, friends, this weekend, I'm going to speak at a conference of 6,000 Chabad emissaries from across the globe. 6,000 institutions from across the globe, from Vietnam to Tokyo. From Peru to Honolulu, 6,000 emissaries, them and their wives, come once a year for an international conference in the Crown Heights community of Brooklyn, in New York, not far from here. I'm going to have the merit to address them on Thursday, once in English to the English speaking and in Hebrew for the many, many that speak Hebrew or other languages from different countries. They come from Siberia, they come from China, who knows where they come from. If you want to master geography, you come to that conference and you interview people and you get to know almost every country in the world. And it's impressive to see a movement that created 6,000 institutions for outreach, for education, 
synagogues, schools, mikvahs, social centers, JCCs, community centers, for disabled, for special children, for elderly people, for all types of people and for all types of needs, religious, spiritual, social, etc. But when I speak to them, I'm going to remember that in 1945, there were no 6,000 Chabad institutions. In 1945, most of the Chabadniks were either in Stalin's gulags, or in Hitler's crematoriums, or in Stalin's prisons. A handful of them survived, came out of Russia. A handful of them began to develop in the United States of America. And there were trailblazers who set the trend for pride, for outreach. And one of those trailblazers was Rabbi Moshe Hecht, who 70 years ago at the young age of 25, he was a Hecht, and he could have done a lot of things at the age of 25 decided to invest his life and his future together with his late Rebetzin in Jewish education. Four children came to the first class and he was mocked by most of the leaders. Seventy years later we come back here today to the same city of Nohaven and all we can say is wow! Thousands and thousands of children who have gone through the doors of the academy. Hundreds of children who are presently walking in each day to the school with a smile and walking out with wisdom, information, and inspiration, so that the next 70 years of this school are insured, as they have insured that the melody of Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Hasharis, of those special Jews in Dombrov, will never ever be interrupted. Because Am Yisrael Chai, thank you very much. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.